This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 154, Cole Worley Oath Update. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Yo, hey, oh, what's hey. up? I'm going to start this one, actually, oh, because I'm not in this episode. This is, you freaked so me this out. Is like my, this is how I start them. I just go, hey, oh, whoa, hey. Uh, <laughs> Suddenly we're in the, it. Oh, and the show started. Uh, show started now. Uh, my name's Hunter. I'm the main host, and then I'm joined here by my secondary host, uh, Matt Martins. Hi, I'm uh, Matt Martins, t- the secondary host of Space Turtle. Oh, what is it? Yeah, it's hard. Uh, you've only been doing this for almost three years. Actually, three years plus now, right? Yeah, actually, this episode comes out the- two days shy of three years, actually. This is our three... Wow. Hunter, this is our three-year anniversary episode, turns out. We Let's- just found out right now live. <laughs> well, you know what? It is actually a special episode because yeah. we got we got, we got got Cole back to talk about um, Oath. Oath is finished, Yeah, rules-wise. Um, and mostly finished. If you've been play, if you've been a playtester, the TTS module is mostly up to date with what the final, mm-hmm. the bot, the physical version of the game will be. Correct? Yeah. Is that all correct? Yeah, that's yeah. basically correct. I'm sure there are some qualifiers within all that, but yeah. Um, so basically, now it's like a now it's the long wait for them to get through the not long, but production processes and that. But we sat down with Oath. The game has actually changed a fair amount. Um, in in mechanics, not necessarily in the scope of the game or what it's trying to do but just mechanically there's a lot different so we wanted to bring cole back on to explain those differences and uh it's just me in this one hunter was kind of like hunter was like producer of the content it was a very fun little vibe we had going on with him like in the background yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was just listening to what was happening and uh typing little notes and sometimes <laughs> messing up the flow of things by typing too much at <laughs> no, once. No, you didn't. You did not. I'm not going to even let you get away with thinking that. Uh, but we do need to do some rundown up at the top before we get into the interview with Cole. Um, so before we get into that stuff, I just want to thank our weird bears, Farganess, T.G. Welch, and Brian, and our Space Kitties, Naderade, Patience as a Virtue, Polyphony Requiem, Rwise, Hippie Peace Turtles, Gaz Keo, Dark Jutsu, Bot Bot, Absol, Istoria, and Ready Action. Wow. What a list. Awesome. Um, and as far as Patreon stuff uh it looks like the hunter donaldson fan club will be playing letters from Whitechapel. that game one oddly I this love is the it. first I'm so time so stoked <laughs> i'm actually pretty sure root has never won yeah the hunter donaldson fan club <laughs> it's been solid ti a solid ti streak and then letters from Whitechapel win so Super me and matt weird. are gonna play that 1v1 um and yeah that'll be very strange um the Galactic Council uh, episode for October, the second round of that will be, you'll, you You can vote on that if you're hearing me right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is likely between SCPT reviews their own tier list from 2017, kind of a throwback episode yeah. where we flash back to our thoughts about the base game before we had ever played it. Um, and then the second option is rules quiz extravaganza finally has made it to the finals (laughs) uh, and we'll see what happens. Um, My Twitch schedule for this week is I'm going to play Root on Friday um, at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. I might squeeze in a day game, but if you've you've been following me closely, 
you may have noticed that I always say I'm going to try and play two root games and then I don't get them together. Yeah. So I'm committed. I'm getting this 8 p.m. game is happening. Yeah. Heck or high water, it's happening. Okay. And, and that the 8 other p.m. One game we'll uh, schedules messed up last week. You may have heard last week's episode. We were like, oh, we're going to have a special guest and just schedules kind of messed up. But ideally this Friday, as long as everything holds true, we're going to have Lord of the Board join us uh for that Ooh, we root put stream. it in the episode now so now yeah it now it's now happen. we're committed <laughs> yeah it's not uh, a surprise guest anymore you know who to complain right. to if, <laughs> if it doesn't happen um and also at this point um these games are now part of a schedule specifically to hype up Heck yeah. the coming test tournament yes uh that is happening i don't know if we're ready to announce a date for it no let's it's, do it uh with yeah. the invites it's 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 a weird tournament because it's invitational it's a really small tournament it's a 16 person thing we say it kind of at the end of this episode so there's some more details you'll hear in the interview itself but we don't say the dates in it it's actually going to be october 17th and 18th and uh, then the finals of that tournament would be October 24th. So two consecutive weekends in the middle of October. We're going to do just a small tester 16-person tournament. This is more for us to test out our methods and and are we good and are we very good commentators for Root? Right. With the right. very big goal <laughs> no. of being a much uh, larger Root tournament in the future. I don't, you know, we're, I think Hunter and I are tossing around the idea of January in our heads. There's no commitment there, but maybe if I right. say that out loud, you will push us to do so <laughs> a 64 person yeah that's the goal i think would be a good a good starter yeah um so yeah so be excited for that um uh you know if if you're if you're bummed you're like oh i want i want to be in the root tournament it's like well the idea here is to get it up to speed and actually do yes. a real event that anyone can join right, right. this uh, one is small so. and exclusive only because we don't trust ourselves quite yet i we think it'll be good but you know there's a lot of hiccups along the way that we got to kind of right, work right. out so we didn't want to force that on the unsuspecting public <laughs> yeah i mean with ti we spent literally like a year talking about how a tournament yeah. would look before we even did right, it right um and then uh, as far as youtube goes this week um we, you can watch us play oh yeah uh if if you're hearing me uh it's releasing uh on the on our ti tuesday um and the it's it's I think we did most things right. I know we messed up something rules wise. There's probably all kinds of little mini is. goofs. Um, there's some stuff at the end where we say we're wrong and then it turned out we're not wrong. And there's it's just like all over the place. But that's listen, right. man, it's a it's a game where the rules were literally changing like week to week. And we had only learned it like the few days before that. So it's just how it goes. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Little, but yeah. Little. So 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 check that out. And you'll also get. You'll get something else on the YouTube this coming weekend. I just don't know what it is yet. But yep. this this is your this is your like double feature since you didn't get something last weekend. Right. Uh, and I just would love it if you gave us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and you can visit our website spacecatspeaceturtles.com to find out more information about how to get involved on our Patreon, uh, how to follow us on Twitter and our Discord, and all that stuff. Hunter Donaldson, guess what we have to do before we cut it over to Cole Worley? Oh yeah, it's time for the little treat. The, the little piece of candy we give you every week. <laughs> and anyone that's, any people that are joining in just to hear about Oath, sorry, this is not for you. You got to put up with this for just a second. <laughs> uh, if you are if you don't know this show, what we do every week leading up to the Twilight Imperium, this is a Twilight Imperium show, by the way. Uh, what we do every week leading up to the Twilight Imperium expansion is we reveal like two components from the expansion. 
Yeah, two yeah, little if snippets. You, if you were like, I guess I'll listen to it's this niche weird. podcast because it's talking about a game I like. Well, the other game we talk about, boy, do we get niche where we just read cards and here comes yeah. one of those. So here's two little things. <laughs> Imagine how like like dialed in your hype has to be to be like, I, I want my two little mini nuggets and that, that helps me get through the week. Don't yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. The, Give us that hit. The I first one hit. is an exploration card. We got another exploration card to hit everybody with. This is a frontier card. So this is one of the cards you uh, uncover if you have the tech dark energy tap in Prophecy of Kings uh, and you enter a system with a ship that is empty. There's no planets in it. If there's no planets in the system, there will be a token there. You can remove that token from the board and flip over one of these cards and you might get the enigmatic device. Place this card face up in your play area. As an action, you may spend six resources and purge this card to research one technology. So it's like That's a little cool. discoverable, uh, uh, what's it called? Forced, you know, research, the, the, the action card, focused research. Yeah. Um, but like instead of trade research, goods, it's expensive. resources. And so you can just get like a little extra tech there in the middle of the game if you got the money for it. It's cute. That's it's cute. Good. I like it. It's cute. It's no easy. problems here. It's cute. It's it's. I I think there's a lot of questions right now about like what the frontier deck is gonna really feel like, and we've it, it feels kind of all over the place. But this this is I what I would say that is certainly more powerful than anything we've seen on planet exploration cards. But that's not also game breakingly good or anything, right? Yeah. That's just the thing yeah. that you can get and improves your game a little bit. Next up. We have a little spoil from our friends, the universities of Jolnar. Lots of questions still around about are the Jolnar going to be a force to be reckoned with like they were in base game? Or has the reduction in frequency of tech objectives really um, done enough damage to them to where they'll just be kind of like a normal faction that Matt is allowed to play and not feel ashamed <laughs> for? Uh, and so, Oh, is that why you feel ashamed when you play? Because I thought it... <laughs> Is, I thought it was just one of the small things, but I think there's a lot of other things, you know. There's like you constant. get king made every time you win, you know, like you never really like win the right way. You always win the the wrong way. Uh, so I'm Jolar, playing Matt's bully Jolar's for this Matt episode. Is the shield paling? Paling? P-A-L-I-N-G. I I don't know what that word is. I'm sorry. I'm I don't stupid. know. You're like too busy getting king made to even read correctly. <laughs> And uh, this mech is cost two. It's a combat on a seven, but of course it has the little uh, Jolnar minus symbol. So it really is going to hit on a seven instead of a six. Uh, but your infantry on this planet are not affected by your fragile faction ability. So this thing ends Ooh. up hitting on a seven, but your infantry go back to hitting on an eight or a seven if they're upgraded. Uh, which that's huge i mean that's that's yeah. jolnar's like pretty much main downside is their very bad infantry and this uh is a quick easy way to just completely throw that out the window yeah so you get it's like these guys are like uh, it's like daycare like you gotta have the babysitter <laughs> with the infantry or they won't do it good <laughs> i love that and that is now this is now a uh, shield babysitter that's all i'm yeah, calling it that's the, the babysitter the, the, right the babysitter mech all right, that those have been your spoils. Hope you enjoy them. It is time for uh, our interview with Cole Worley and a load of information about Oath, a lot of stuff about Root, and specifically some fun stuff about Root competitive play in preparation for our upcoming tournament. So let's it's kick a good it, one. Let's kick it's it over to one. me with Cole Worley. Hey, 
Hey, Cole, how are you? How are things? I, I think you guys are just getting done with being crazy busy. Is that right? Yeah, we are. We are near. Well, we're nearly at the end. We are in the we have just finished the second round of pre-press, which is so um, pre-press. So the, what, what happens just for folks who aren't super familiar with this part of the process is all the files that you use to build TTS modules and to print at home, none of those files work when it comes <laughs> to doing actual printing. Um, wow. And so you, you have to kind of like, now you don't rebuild them precisely, but you have to take them through this really long and rigorous uh, pre-flight process. And then at the end of that, you have a set of very pristine um, files that can be used uh, to, to, for, um, uh, I think, you know, it's sometimes called displacement printing. It has all, all sorts of different names. Basically, it's printing in, in, in plates and actually doing mass production, which is just a fundamentally different way of, of printing something than wow. like printing it at a printer at home. So this process is always exhausting because the entire <laughs> day you're like, okay, why is InDesign decided to just magically disappear this icon and so you, 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 it requires a lot of attention to detail and then i mean i i spent the better part of the last 12 hours on german printers blogs trying to figure out some obscure detail of the way uh acrobat or not acrobat the way in indesign uh in in encodes a pdf and it um it, it's so funny because you know this is like probably the 10th project that I've ever worked on in this stage. Uh, and there are new problems every single time. <laughs> yeah. um, I think with the exception of Pax Vermeer, even Pax Vermeer was tough, but it's always hard. Yeah, it's it's really the reason you get into designing and developing, right? Is the, oh, the yeah. nitpicky technicalities of Adobe software. <laughs> the, I, I will put the um, the sauciest rules lawyer against anyone in the Adobe forums. <laughs> I think that I, I think that the, the like if people sometimes complain about the nitpicking of rules, sure. and they've just never had to deal with a technical manual about um, <laughs> script, right? Well, so, okay, we, we met with you uh, at the beginning of this year before our everyone's world uh, changed. <laughs> but in, mm -hmm. in, the, in the glory days of pre-COVID, uh, you know, we got, to, we got to get our hands on Oath. We played a couple sessions on TTS, but we played just recently. And, and there's a, a decent amount of uh, pretty, I would say, substantial changes, maybe not to like how the game overall feels. But can you kind of give maybe a somewhat brief overview of what the like largest scale changes uh, were to, mm -hmm. to this game for, for those who listened last time or have been trying to keep up with the development but aren't quite caught up? So a lot changed. Um, I think it's so funny because I played recently with Dan Thoreau mm -hmm. and I, I, was, I was worried because he had given us a really glowing review and we, we of course have been monkeying with the design and working on it and i was kind of petrified that he was not going to like it and then when i taught him the rules he was like oh so like not that much change I'm like, how can you say that <laughs> right um so the biggest changes um i think the, the changes kind of fall into a couple groups so um the four victory conditions um have been uh more fleshed out so mm. when people played originally um there were kind of there, there was kind of like a major condition uh the the conquest condition and then the other conditions were a little bit like minor players and 
a big part of the development was getting those four conditions in the right balance right. and making them feel distinct so that if one of them was the primary driver in a game, uh, it felt like a full-throated game and you weren't thinking like, oh, well, this condition is the one I want to play and the other ones are not. Right. So that, that, that was like one, one body of changes. The other body has to do with uh, combat, which got uh, a pretty big overhaul. Um, the, the actual math of combat is almost exactly the same as it's ever been, but the emotional impact of it and the highs and lows are totally different. Mm -hmm. It's a lot splashier. Um, and then, uh, the, we, we added relics <laughs> to the game. Um, basically a kind of like item system, yeah. um, that, that provides, uh, it's like, a, it's another dimension of play onto everything. Uh, and then the final, and the, that relic system re replaced what used to be called the court system. I could talk a long time about, uh, how that change worked. Right. And then the last change was, um, a general codifying of rules. And so originally we had like lots of different types of cards with all these like subtle differences in how their powers worked. And, as we iterated through all through the card list, we gradually boiled it down to like there are three different types of cards. Right. They have these parameters. They have this kind of language. They work in this way, and basically all of the powers that had existed in the game, um, we, we kind of folded into that new system. And then, of course, when you when you all played it, there were maybe um, sixty unique. Uh, card powers yeah and now there are about 250 right right which was always part of the plan so which is always of, part of the yeah, plan yes some of this stuff is just part of the natural development of like letting you know all the pieces fall into place um was was that the case with something like the the relics or like what was the 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 court powers and things like that like was that was there always a plan in place to add something like that you just kind of had to see how it felt out or was there steps in the process where the design wasn't doing what you wanted it to do and that was the solution so the the relics are i think the element of the design that i didn't be just because of the timing of when the relics happened mm -hmm. i didn't really talk about it in the the designer diaries and updates that i would publish yeah. so the combat system i wrote this like i don't know three thousand word yeah <laughs> article about the combat system everyone should read it it's, it's very enlightening but we'll we'll probably avoid going crazy in depth on it yeah today, I, you've I, already I done that <laughs> well yeah I've already, I've already done it it's already out there and i love when people ask me like hey why did combat change and i'm like hey i literally wrote <laughs> this gigantic piece on it which is yeah. like one of my favorite pieces of game writing i've done is explaining the the change in combat mm -hmm. but the relic system because of how it timed like a strange thing has to happen um when I'm working on a designer diary, because in, in, the, in, before a Kickstarter, I, I build it into my schedule. So like, I know I'm going to be writing these things. I know they need to be about 1500 words. I have a sense of like how many weeks I'm going to have to do them. Uh, but once we get into development, the priority of, of, of everything is just getting the game done. Right. And so if I'm going to have like four or five days or maybe three, I think the combat one took me to like really write something, um, it has to be that like I have a little bit of distance from the thing, and then at that moment when I have distance from the subject I want to talk about, I need to have time to actually do it. And with, with the relics, I talked about it very lightly um, in, in, in one piece. Um, what had happened, so I had not planned on putting relics in it at all. Okay. And I think this is probably a bit of oversight on my, on my own part, because I tend to avoid RPG tropes. So like, there is no leveling up system yeah. 
in Oath, even though you're playing a pawn. Uh, and it's because I hate leveling up. So I think they're <laughs> bad uh, in almost every instance. And we'd be better off if they had never happened. Um, so, you know, the like items are kind of in that same group. Like, I don't want magic potions. I hate magic potions. I don't like it's just it's just not it's not interesting to me from a gameplay right, perspective. Right. Um, and then so I, I had kind of like blocked that out and, and wasn't thinking about it. And then as we were developing this this court system, so we always knew there were four victory conditions. There kind of had to be. Mm-hmm. And I had a sense that I wanted one system to be about the management of favor. And that was the support of the people, like the people's favor, the mob's favor, yeah. that we're now calling banners. So that was always there, the popularity contest. And then there was the darkest secret, which was going to be about the accumulation of secrets. And then there was going to be this fourth condition, which was going to be about like culture. And it, I was trying to find like the right yeah. narrative grounds to like make an arena about culture. Um, and it was funny when 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 y'all played it originally, like at PAX. Yeah. Uh, I think the darkest secret and the people's favor were very simple. They were basically like bids. Yeah. You, you put secrets on to take it, and then favor you put favor on to take it. And hilariously, both of those conditions, well, actually, in particular, the people's favor got crazy complicated over the course <laughs> of the development. It was like a portfolio game. Yeah. There was you know you had to like have the most shares and the whatever. And what I was finding when I was working on it was that it was too uh, abstract mm. and that like the game if i was talking about popularity the game was measuring popularity it was measuring popularity in favor if you had a lot of favor right. you were you were popular and so be, th- that felt too simple and so I, w- I kept trying to elaborate on this theme and whenever i would go back to be like, being like okay what is the grounding for this condition i would think well the game is already measuring popularity why am i so afraid of just putting it back into the old auction system and in fact, like um, w- with the popularity game, there, with the popularity game, I was so enamored of how the portfolio share system, popularity system worked, that I was kind of losing my, my, my footing because it, it, it wasn't anything about popularity. It was about like having the right friends who were associated with the people who happened to be popular. Right, right. Whereas if I just made it about favor, it like gave it punch again. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what happened then was I was, I was working on that condition and at the same time, looking at the court system and as the darkest secret and the conquest condition and the people's favor condition were dialing in and we're starting to become a lot more thematically resonant, the court system just like left me cold. And it, it was strange because mechanically it was working great and it was doing what it did. Thematically, it needs to be a fourth place to put resources. Yeah or really a third place to put favor. So in the conquest game, you're, you're cycling favor into banks to recruit troops. And in the people's favor game, you are cycling your favor into this, like in, into this big pot, you're making these big bids. And then the previous bid is getting kind of spread through the, the banks. And then it's about like the Delta of your acquisition, like, and, and how, what kind of access are you going to have to gain that popularity? Yeah. And in, in this weird way for the popularity game, uh, portfolios do matter quite a lot because if you ha- if you don't have the right friends, you're not going to get access to the right kinds of favors. Right. Um, and, and one, it's probably my favorite of the four conditions right now because it is is quite subtle and there is like you can lock a player out by just trying to read their advisors. Um, but I needed a third place for players to put favor. 
uh, and ideally a place that would kind of lock up favor and push it out of the game. And I, so I was just thinking about this and, and I had, I had this moment where I was like, well, I want it to be about culture and like maybe depending on how the court goes, it like shifts the culture of the game, things coming in and out of fashion. And I had this, this realization where it, like the popular support game, the engine was already doing that. The culture of the game is an amalgam of all of the cards that are at sites. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like that work is already being done. Uh, by by the game engine and and the, the 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 culture of the world changes slowly over the course of the game and so like what am i doing trying to like come up with another cultural <laughs> system when i already have a system that's doing culture and so i started thinking a little bit about um abstraction and how you know the people's favor and the darkest secret were pretty abstract they're like kind of middlingly abstract conquest is not at all like i yeah people understand that when they put their pieces on a place they rule it there are consequences to that rule um and then the court system was at this like higher level of abstraction and so as a challenge i sort of was just brainstorming one day and was like what would it look like to make a system that was even less abstract than the conquest system right and I, I was playing a lot of like Spelunky and Caves of Cud and just thinking about like items, especially items that aren't like a plus one sword. Yeah, yeah. But, but instead, like you're going to get this item and it's going to change how you think about the rest of the game. Um, and that led to the, to the creation of the relic system. And it was one of those things like as soon as we put it in the game, it was it, it was immediately clear that it was an improvement. Yeah. Yeah, it feels um, it, it feels more like a, a roguelike than it does an RPG. Like it it it's these these items change the context of their power based on the like seed <laughs> that you're running yeah. through. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is something I have. I think most of everyone in my family is quite enamored with roguelikes. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of of them lately, and the ones that we really admire are the ones that, like, w with a small range of items can just really deliver like very different right, totally. uh, tools, experiences, that kind of thing. And it, it's been interesting, you know, one change that happened with the relics is that originally the relics had a cost associated with them. So if you wanted to buy, you know, the brass horse, it would cost like four favor to this bank. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it was fine. It was doing its job. And, um, but, but there was something kind of missing from it. And there was a discussion on BGG where people were talking about how it didn't feel like relicky. It didn't feel mysterious. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, th this is a very good point. And I, I really took it to heart and started thinking through the problem. And someone I think had compared it to like buying items in a store. And I was like, okay, well, that is definitely not what I want this right. to feel like. Uh, the relics should feel like opportunities. Um, or like terrible prices to pay or something like that. Like I almost never want them to be fairly priced. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what had happened was as we were balancing the cards and Oath got so much more card balancing than any game I've ever worked on. As we were balancing the cards, we were, we had, um, we had price. I mean, for all the cards in the game, they never have a price except the relics. The relics had a price right on the card. And so if, if a card was too good or too bad, we could just toggle the price up and down. Mm -hmm. uh, and what happened then was that the relics were overly calibrated. They were too perfectly priced so that they only were good deals if you happen to be in the per perfect situation for it. And otherwise, it was like, I don't know if it's worth that. Right. So what i did and, and and this is like one of the last stages of revision is we took the prices off the relics and put them on the sites 
so that if you're at a site with a relic, that site determines the price of the mm. relic. And what that meant is that sometimes a relic is extremely cheap and sometimes it is very expensive. And it is kind of up to the context of the game to drive how good of a deal a relic might be. Yeah. And it just, it was such an interesting thing because as soon as it, as soon as I started working through the consequences of it, I was so sure about that. After talking about that, I was like, you know what? I like played half a little game with it and I just put it in and update everything. And it was like, because I was traveling, it was four or five days before I had a chance to even <laughs> test it. Yeah. By that time, my, my testers had already started <laughs> testing it and everybody loved it. And I was like, okay, of course, this is like, be, be, and it, it, one of the reasons why it is feeling so good, and this has been such the rule with Oath, is it is thematically and narratively uh, coherent. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. I travel to this kind of site, and at this site, this is what a thing would cost. Right. Right. It's more about the exploration of the place than it is the cost of the thing you might happen to find there. <laughs> So you brought up an interesting point in there of you were able to design the thing, step away, and almost immediately have people pick it up. This feels like the new future we're in with board game development. And, and you know, you guys at Leader Games and, and you in general, Cole, are, are much more um, open to tabletop simulator as a platform than a, a lot of larger uh, companies you know can afford to be or whatever um sure. but i'm i'm curious how you feel that has impacted maybe specifically oath but also just in general your ability to to design the the fact that like iteration maybe can happen so quickly or like you're saying you you can just ship something out and it's in people's hands and they can play with it immediately rather than having to go through all the print and play steps i mean how substantial is that for you know, leader games at your guys's scale and everything. There, there are a lot of things I want to, I want to touch on because I think, uh, Oath used a lot of TTS in its development, a huge amount. Um, and it in general, well, maybe I'll start it this way. Uh, COVID-19, the global pandemic, um, is a horrible thing. But right. it was a very f kind of strangely fortunate event for the development of Oath. Right. It happened right when Oath was at a position of stability that we weren't changing huge swaths of the game in one blow. The game was relatively stable. Mm -hmm. And what it did was it caused all of these wonderful game groups to be disbanded. But in a lot of these wonderful groups are like one person who really wants to help me play test games right. and then three who don't. So now <laughs> there's like a fellowship of all of the like singletons. Yeah. Right. And so we had a, a discord um, that, that, we, that we formed kind of right as the pandemic was closing things. And it has, I don't know, maybe a hundred people in it or something. And it is my favorite place. It is so. <laughs> we have a book club in the Discord. It it's is a just, little club it is, ground. Yeah, it's a playground. Yeah, it, it's a little playground, and it's filled with with a wonderful selection of people who are so interesting. They come from all sorts of backgrounds, and they're all really interested in this project for one reason or another. And, uh, so so we had that community, and then on the other hand, we had Tabletop Simulator. Mm -hmm. Now. TTS is not something I like. I used to make fun of it a lot, <laughs> but I have really come around to it as a platform because what it does is it takes the burden 
of kit creation and mm -hmm. kit maintenance away from the playtesting group and it puts it on the publisher right now working on the publisher side that's a bad it's horrible me, <laughs> right i don't want to, have to maintain these things but the moment that i have a new version out people on the discord are are queuing for tables right. and they're starting to set up the week's playtest schedule they're excited about it in the way that you might be excited when you read like the patch notes to whatever mobile or competitive game you happen to be playing mm -hmm. right whenever like a new patch comes out in dota i know like the next couple of weeks i'm just gonna be playing dota right. so i want to really like explore the implications and this meant that our board game development followed like a video game model which which has never been possible for me before right. oath has received so many times more playtesting than any project i have ever worked on yeah like it is it is insane i i can't even like with root many of the cards in root were vetted like let's say three or four times so some of them were vetted a lot but many of them had like probably four versions yeah in Oath, it is not uncommon to come across a card that's like, oh, this is on its 10th. <laughs> right. <laughs> or it's 12th or something. And, wow. and you know, in, in I, I was thankful, too, to have the background with, like, Fast TMM and with the new Root decks and things like that because I've gotten a lot more comfortable designing towards the overpowered edge, and Oath is, like, full of crazy game-breaking cards. Right. And so over the course of development, we, we were able to iterate fast enough that uh, a card might go through being highly overpowered to getting kind of thrown by the wayside. And then we'd like look at the list again and say, ah, you know, this card used to be really good and now it's kind of garbage. Can we bring it up a little bit? Um, and, and then we would go, and then not only would we be able to bring it up, we'd be able to then like take it through another couple rounds of development right. and adjust it a little bit. And, you know, I mean, today, for instance, I'll just, I'll share this with you. Um, we, this is the level of detail that currently um, our editor uh, Joshua Yearsley and myself are are engaging in. Um, so there, there's one card called the Vow of Union, which doesn't allow you to pick up armies. Mm. But when you fight, all of the armies at all of your sites are like with you. Oh wow! So it like links you to the map, but also doesn't allow you to carry armies. Uh, it's a great card. Love it. Uh, it really like can turn turn a, a, a game state on its head um but it has this problem because there's this other called called the ring of devotion and the ring of devotion uh if you have it you can't drop off warbands um they always stick with you you muster very very fast but you can't drop off your warbands they love you too much hmm. um and so josh in one of his many reviews of the cards was like hey if you have both of these things um you're going to get stuck <laughs> and like you might actually like be locked out of the game. And so the way we ended up fixing that was to look through the entire game for any time when you have to take uh, a relic without having the choice of taking it and put in a little clause that allows you to throw the relic away. So like if you get the family heirloom, you draw the top relic of the deck, oh, used to just right. keep the relic, but now you can either take it or return it to the bottom of the relic deck. Now you're never going to want to return it to the bottom of the relic deck unless you happen to have taken the vow of union <laughs> right. and you're looking at the ring of devotion, right? Wow. So like that that level of like of of inner interaction mapping yeah. has been made possible because of this the, the, this the, the cycles. Now on the other hand. Um, the one thing I, I will I will add to this uh, this comment about TTS is that um, 
TTS really changed the sorts of iteration that I could do. So right when we were getting ready to break for the pandemic, not break, right when we were ready to start working remotely for the pandemic, mm -hmm. I was actually mulling over some like very radical oath changes to the way the action structure worked. Those did not happen in mm. part because I was like, there is no way that I can test this yeah. in any kind of like reasonable way. And then I knew because of how we have the TTS built, like all of our production files have a TTS pipeline. It's like very easy for me to update the, the TTS. Um, but because of how it was built, there were certain changes that I knew would be like very difficult to make. Hmm. And, and in fact, it wasn't until the very last development um, wave when I, uh, so this is like one of the last card audits we did, like maybe in, um, in August, I, I told the TTS maker, I'm like, I'm going to put it in like some wacky powers I really wanted to put in that are probably going to be a nightmare for you to implement. <laughs> and I'm just going to do this now because I want to free myself of this. So for instance, the, the Great Spire, which is one of the ruins which used to give like stop battles from taking the darkest secret, which is a fine and interesting power. But my problem with that power is it's similar to the power um, uh, of the, uh, the tome guardians, which the um, yeah, it's like similar to the tome guardians. And there are a couple other powers that are kind of like near it. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I don't want any duplicate powers if we can avoid it. So we changed the Great Spire to allow people to search from the dispossessed pile, which oh, for folks who aren't familiar to Oath, like they're, the cards that you remove out of the game just kind of get held in the stack. They sit in the box. And I really wanted like one or two cards to interact with that set. <laughs> and so we have the card Pilgrimage and the card the, the Great Spire. However, from a TTS standpoint, those cards aren't anywhere on the board. Yeah. Um, so he, we have to figure out some scripting option. But in the end, I was like, you know, most people are going to be playing this game in meat space. I would rather, like, I want, I want this effect. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in general, though, like, I, I mean, just sort of backing out about it, like, you lose that early stage is tough in TTS. And I have a lot of right. sympathy for designers struggling with iterate, like early stage iteration in TTS. Um, but if you, if you embrace it, the, what you get on the back end in terms of development is unlike anything in board yeah. game design. Would, it's incredible. If, if COVID hadn't been a factor this year, would you have ever like relied so heavily on it like would you have gone to that extent with it or would it have been kind of a, a thing that you just use for and, and, and will you continue to use it once maybe if, if things are able to to die off like is, is tts a part of your pipeline now or um is this sort of a temporary thing so i had gotten a preview of this when i was working on premiere and that's the person who built the the oath tts mod is flipping amazing and it's getting like the new version that's going to come out in a couple of days is like really beautiful. And then the version we're going to do after that is going to be really incredible. But like, it's as far as I like the Oath TTS is incredible. It is one of the most amazing TTS engines I've ever seen. It just does so much work. Yeah. And we, that the person who built it also built the, uh, the TTS for PAX Premier mm -hmm. and Drew and I, Drew lives in Chicago. I live in St. Paul. So it's like a six hour drive. And we did a lot of our testing of Premiere 2 on TTS and got quite used to playing it that way. Gotcha. And it, it was very helpful uh, for that. Um, so Oath, Oath always had, like, it was really 
that to me, I mean, there are all these things I got so lucky. There are all these things that lined up. Like I happen to be familiar with TTS because of Pamir and it started building like having the discord channel as part of the development framework. Um, so I would have still used it, but not to the degree that it was used. Mm -hmm. Like I would have, it would have been like a third or a fifth of, of my development effort instead of being like the overwhelming largest chunk yeah. of, of my development time. I mean, I, it, hilariously, one of the last things that I did, but before COVID happened, is uh less people think that we were too prepared for a global pandemic is i i, I built four oath kits complete oath kits it took like a week right to build all of these physical oh, kits no. because we were getting ready to start four co-current campaigns yeah. with local groups and i had recruited all these uh, playtesters <laughs> in the twin cities and then we got together for the first night we all had a great time i said hey maybe we'll see you next week and then that was it yeah wow. <laughs> so yeah it wasn't yeah so, um, so like, I mean, are you looking ahead at like a, a, a future possible root expansion and thinking already about like how you're going to make sure TTS is a factor in that? Or is it a, a wait and see where the world is at that point? It, I mean, it would have to be a factor in it, right? Like yeah. this is especially because root has so many players on the Woodland Warriors. Like yeah. they're like they're, they're running two or three games a night. Um, it is so easy to find pickup games there. I want to find a way to dial into that audience a little bit. I also, like with Root, I'm in this weird spot where I am no longer the person who has played Root the most. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I, I might I might have like, I don't know, I'm probably at a couple hundred Root games. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm probably at a couple hundred Oath games too. And with Root... I now have to go into conversations about root and what gets added to root and how it's handled with a lot of humility right. because I know that it's, that game means a lot to a lot of people and that they have very well considered opinions. I mean, in, in many ways, opinions more well considered than, than mine at the time that the game was made. Mm. I mean, when we were working on root, we were building something that really resonated with us, but we had no idea. I mean, we had absolutely no sense that it was going to, provide like we didn't have any sense that the game itself would get so much investigation and i also don't think like when i was designing the engine for the game i wanted something that was modular and strong and well reasoned just because it was easier for me to work on mm -hmm. and then uh, you know i guess anybody could have seen it that if it's easy for one person to work in it's going to be easy for lots of people to work in. So right. you see, you know, the, the hundreds, the hundreds plus fan factions. Right. Um, so when it comes to testing, I haven't, I haven't really set it up yet with, with root underworld, we had about 12 people come to the studio and we hired them actually. And so this was after, after underworld had, had funded after the factions were designed and everything was set. We hired playtesters, recruited mostly from like local colleges. And we said, hey, you know, um, we want you to come and play the heck out of this game and try to break it. And I, I, I wrote a little script um, that generated a long list of all of the, I think actually my brother might have written that script. Anyway, one of us wrote it. Generated a list of all the faction combinations um, this is where, where the reach system kind of like originated mm -hmm. and where, and where many of the people will ask me like, Oh, what does a reach number mean? And I'll tell them 
my usual bit that like it's about the ability to police the board state but the actual and so there were all these metrics that went into the original numbers but the actual numbers were calibrated based on these big charts that we made hmm. and we would like adjust the reach like okay if we add one to this faction's reach suddenly this group of plays are now viable right Can, let's set those up and test them okay well half of those are garbage <laughs> so if we adjust the numbers a little bit like this we can kind of like get rid of the garbage plays and so a lot of like the plus one minus one in the reach numbers came from that kind of tuning yeah. and then what we did it, when we had the, these play testers come and I'm, I'm actually a very firm believer that in general you do not want to play pay play testers and the, the the reason why is because uh play testing is like a very um i don't know it's like a special place because what, what you want is like a brain trust what you want is like a club a council mm -hmm. a like you don't want people to be doing it for money right um because it's going to jack everything up uh, on the other hand um if i need like balance feedback and need people to play like batteries and batteries and batteries of games well, of course, I want to just hire some folks, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like oh, with my core playtesters, I want the kind of people who who will tell me that I did something bad. But when it gets to later in the stage where you're just kind of brute force testing, I of course want to compensate people for their time. And I realize that's like a little bit of a contradictory position, but it's just I think it's it's come out of practice. Yeah. Um, so what we did is I took those reach charts and we looked for all of the 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 the, the borderland combinations the like barely workable re reach numbers and i took all of those and made a big schedule and then printed each of them twice and shuffled them all up and the, these little play testers would come in every day in the morning and i would give them a little clipboard with with two sheets of paper two different plays and I'd say all right these are your, your two or three or four games for the day go play them wow. and then at night i would enter the numbers look at how the games worked um, I'd read the reports and things like that. Um, usually, and this is actually a funny thing where like Oath's Chronicle book kind of came from, I would have the winner of the game write how they won. <laughs> and then great. if there were any objecting losers who felt like something wrong had happened, uh -huh. th they could enter it kind of in the margins a little bit. <laughs> um, and, and, and I, uh, I was uh, very interventionist during this process. For example, if the uh, cats were struggling, I would gather up a bunch of players who had played cats the previous day and talk about, we'd have a strategy discussion mm. about them because I wanted them to be playing. It was important for them to be playing well. And the last thing I'll say about it is I had a funny um, experience right when we started it, where I had all of these play testers, they gathered up, we had our opening meeting and I asked them like, Oh, how much have you played root? And of, you know, of course a big chunk had never played it and a, a small, a small chunk had maybe played it once or twice. And then I remember there was this guy in the corner who was like, oh, I've played a lot of root. I'm like, oh, how much you played? It's like, I've played, I don't know, probably about eight times. And I'm like, okay, here's the thing. That seems like a lot of root. <laughs> most people don't play their games that much. Right. But by the end of the second day, you will all have played as much root as this pro here sitting in the corner. <laughs> and I mean, if, you, if I think about like, I've played, I think I'm probably at like 8,000 StarCraft matches. <laughs> Right. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating that right. number at all because, you know, I think I've got like four, 4,500 wins maybe. And you imagine you lose as much as you win in a game like that. Um, so I, I, board games for some reason, you know, they just, they, I think some groups really play their games. Yeah. And, but, but many don't. And it's important 
that i mean i think part of the experiment of what we're trying to do at leader is like really just designing for the people who play a lot and in fact that's right. where a lot of oaths when i was pitching oath to patrick i said like here's the thing patrick um the game is going to be hugely replayable it's going to have an extremely fast setup time and a pretty fast teardown time but in exchange the game will be a little hard to learn mm-hmm. and so like i i know that oaths hard to learn I know it's a little complicated and weird, but it's going to set up very fast. Yeah. So, so to, to kind of close that up about Oath as well, um, you've been recently developing um, the solo mode and I guess maybe co-op mode as well. I don't know if co-op is really part of that <laughs> equation. Um, how, I mean, how, how has that been? What, what differences, I guess, can we expect from kind of the, the, the stuff you've been having to deal with in that development? So Oath's, Oath solo mode is interesting. It was always, um, I was always confident it would be able to exist because I had watched Ricky Royal design the, the Wakan bot for mm-hmm. Premier, which we included in the game. And um, I had a sense of how he had pulled that trick and how the bot had worked. Mm-hmm. And I think my, my own feelings about solo, like I'm a, I'm a pretty bad solo designer, I think. Uh, the, the, the marquee, the, the mechanical marquee is, was okay, but I, uh, and the John company solo mode is like not good. Um, so <laughs> the John company solo mode was done first and it, it's not very good. And then the mechanical marquee is like, okay. To like middling to like, not very good. And the problem with those is I think I'm not a solo player myself. I, I think I fundamentally, uh, misunderstood what solo players want. Mm-hmm. I thought they wanted a little friction box. That would just like 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 your your weight training, and it's just pushing against you. Right, and then you can see you know how well you can push against it, and that comes from my own experience, uh, like playing AIs in StarCraft. Yeah, where like I don't, I'm not there to like have a good match. I'm there to be like, no, I want you to cheat. I want you to push on me. Right, I'm just warming up. Um, and I think I started looking at the solo games that were successful and talking to solo players and realizing that they what they wanted was that the game to still tell a compelling story mm, mm-hmm. and to still have a kind of like narrative logic, even if it was they were, they were down a player. And so I saw that with the, the Wakan bot. And so like I, I wanted, I actually, I had wanted to build a bot for Premier. And then um, Ricky had asked, if I was interested in having him do it for the second edition, I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a little portion of humble pie and I'm going to watch you work. And I'll, I, and I told him like, I'm going to help develop it, but I want you to do the primary design just so I can kind of see how you, how you think through these problems. And I had a great experience watching that. And then, uh, while, um, while I was working on underworld, um, just in a development capacity along with Nick, uh, I was watching Marshall work on the bots for Root with Benjamin Schmaus, who yeah. is their primary designer, and uh, it was it was just super interesting. Um, the, the the Root bots to me are so a lot of bot design goes against my own design principles. I mean, Oath like I say, Oath's a complicated game, but I'm a firm believer that like the core systems of that design are like extremely simple and clean. And that the, the game is hard and it's open, but that like when it comes to my own design practice, I am I try to cut fat wherever I see it. Mm-hmm. I like very very clean designs, uh, and so a lot of bot design like rankles me, 
right? Because it's like, this is so like, oh, you have to do this flow chart. This is silly. <laughs> um, it, this just seems so like cumbersome. Um, but when I sat down to actually play with Benjamin Schmaus's cat bot, I was impressed. It, I mean, it felt like there was a player sitting at the table who's building buildings and doing all the things players do. And I've actually, I, I've played mini games of Root with the, with the bots where we'll put in two. I'll put in like the cat bot and the vagabond bot. Yeah, yeah. And now, now you know, myself and like a friend or a partner, or whatever, we can play any pair of factions. Right. And it's great. Yeah, that's and that's so, what Hunter and I have done on a number of occasions. It's just like yeah, throw I, in a couple, am, and we're going to do a couple of our own and see where it goes. <laughs> and it like it it just it does feel like they're they are a little strong, um, but. It, it, it does feel like a game of root in a way that I think is almost alarming. Mm -hmm. So going into, <laughs> going into the oath bot, uh, I had a general sense of how I wanted the bot to behave that ended up. I not, not be, like, I knew how the bot needed to behave. I had a design for him, um, which I had in mind when we like launched the Kickstarter and started going. And then actually, once I started working on the bot seriously, it was like, Oh, this is not going to work at all. I had to <laughs> rebuild the chassis. Um, but, um, my, my feelings about so the, the bot right now is in a funny spot. It, it is pretty much done. It's going. It, it, it is in. So you know, obviously, we're submitting all the final files for Oath. How can something not be done? <laughs> uh, the, the, the way the way this process works is that you get a little grace period right at the end, where if you want to make a change or make an adjustment, you kind of can, especially if that adjustment doesn't mess with other stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I change a card. I also need to update the rule book because the rule book might include a picture of that card inside the rule book. Right. 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 Um, but the bot is actually all the rules for the bot are on a single sheet of paper that is loose. It's a, just a card stock, like, you know, sheet. So the, the bot is like kind of on its own little Island in terms of where its rules are in term, uh, as far as the production of the game goes. And I knew that I had a little bit of, like cool down development time. So I said, you know what? I want to do like another development pass on the bot just to adjust some little things. Um, so we'll make the bot the one thing that I'm going to toy with a little bit uh, until the actual final locking of files, which we're like a couple weeks away from. Gotcha. Um, so right now the bot is a pretty good opponent. It will play. It's, it just plays the chancellor. Okay. That was going to be my next uh, question, but yeah, it's, it's just it's plays you the fighting chancellor. against the chancellor. It's always you fighting as the chancellor. I really, well, I'll get into that in a second. So you you play against the chancellor it works in any situation so like it will make offers of citizenship it will like deal with all the four different victory conditions it can like fight against you if you've got a vision all that stuff so mm -hmm. it's adaptable um and it's pretty good as a 1v1 it's like a little puzzly for my taste but where i think the bot is actually pretty special is in the two-player game so the two-player game isn't co-op it's a competitive game but like root it feels like you're playing a three-player game That's with that cool. bot yeah and so even like if i'm just playing like a two-player game of root uh, oath i'm like let's put the bot in now it's funny actually we're not going to include this officially but I'm, i might post it somewhere later some of my playtesters uh devised a two-player variant for oath that's actually really good that <laughs> plays with like a small a smaller map and it's just like a little more cutthroaty. It's it's totally not for everyone. In the right. same way that like I love Premier with two, but it is the weirdest, most unforgiving political game out there. <laughs> because if you make one mistake, you're dead. Yeah. It is a total like tightrope walk. Um, and so the, some of them who really like Premier with two made this very Pamiri oath variant. Uh, that 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 just like 
shrinks the map, shrinks some of the resources. Right. Um, but you know, if you want that general oath experience, uh, you get to hang out with the bot. Now, one the thing I'll, I'll add to this is, I actually think there's room. And I'm not saying the oath bot is, bot is bad. I think it's actually good. I think it's the best bot I've built by a, a margin. I think it's very good at two. I think it's pretty good at one. Um, after working on it, I am convinced there is another way to build a bot. Hmm. And that, in fact, the structure of Oath is such that it would actually lend itself really well to a big bot. That is to say, a bot that could be a chancellor or a citizen, or you could put two in or mm -hmm. whatever. A bot that could adapt to the metagame and had its own special cards and could like grow and develop and like crumble and get really strong and then kind of become weak and all that. I think that Oath is actually a really good game because it allows you to almost like put some machine learning into the bot design. Right. And I, I'm super interested in that project, but Oath was just not the right place for me to like go hog wild and in like an analog machine learning experiment. <laughs> um, and the biggest reason for that was actually production costs. Mm -hmm. um, Oath is by far the most expensive game that I have ever like touched. It ran a little over budget. Um, it ran a lot over budget. Well, it depends <laughs> on what you mean by a lot. It's expensive. Do I need to ask Patrick that question? Is that? <laughs> no, no, you should not ask Patrick that question. Um, I mean, I'll, what, what, what I'll usually say is that um, our return on investment, our ROI on this thing is low. Um, it, is, it is a passion project, like in the truest sense. I had a lot of goodwill after Root did so well, and I have spent it. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm very glad to have spent it. Um, because I think w when people see it, they're going to be like, oh, this is insane. Yeah. This is like a very, this is like a sort of like Gloomhaven fever style yeah, fever yeah. dream where you're like, why, how is all this in one box? This is like <laughs> years of content. Um, and so when I was working on the bot, I was very conscious of like, okay, I have two pieces of paper and eight <laughs> counters and I have to make it work in that structure you had to macgyver so a bot yeah, yeah i had to macgyver a bot which always happens a little bit and it's not necessarily even a bad thing but you know i can often ask for um you know towards the end of a project if i'm like hey i really need like 10 cards or something those sorts of favors are very easy for me to ask for and to receive from the production team. But I had, I had, I was way in debt when it came to favors. Like the, like basically every element of oath is bigger by some metric than the original, like the actual player boards. It's funny because we often play on TTS. You don't really have a sense of scale Yeah. Um, over the last week as we've been like testing the insert and doing all that stuff. Um, we printed things at actual size and I was like, oh, this game is like luxurious. These player boards are huge. <laughs> like, it's, way it's, like kind of, it's not stupid. It's it's just like the game is big. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's big but narrow. I mean, it didn't it didn't like balloon. Sure. But I think when people see the box, they're going to be like, oh, this is a big, heavy box filled with stuff. There is so much wood in this box. It's silly. The fact that we, well, and even like the player pawns, um, which you guys got to play with, yes. the big chunky guys. Yeah. Um, our production manager came to me uh, a few weeks ago and was like, can we make, like, can we make these thinner <laughs> the same, or like the same thickness as the ponds? Because like, if you make all the wood, the same thickness, uh, it's a lot, the wood is so much cheaper because yeah. you're, you're, you're cutting them out of the same stock. Right. Hmm. And 
I would I was like, well, like no, because <laughs> they need to be really big because they're like focal points of the game. And <laughs> the game is a kind of like primeval, like naturalistic approach where like this is your big guy. Everything you do has to do with your right. big guy. And so I wanted like it it wasn't that he was twice as important as a war band. He's like a thousand times more important. <laughs> and all of the all of the people designs are built to be kind of like looming. I yeah. love the way the meeple looks when it's like behind some war band. <laughs> it's like he's like in the fore like the foreground or the background. There's like a weird like perspective thing that's happening. Um and and so, you know, I that also meant that when it came to the very end of the project, there were things that I might have wanted to put in that we just couldn't put in. Right. There's just no right. there's no space. So so when we talked to you at PAX, you were saying like there's no way this game gets an expansion but is are you kind of suggesting you feel differently about that now that there are things that your ideas got so much bigger i mean is is this other bot idea the potential room for growth to to oath as an ip or or kind of where's your head at with that so i did um the, the bots like when it comes to oath and expansions the bot totally there is very much an expansion there i think that the relic system which again came very late mm -hmm. in the development process could be expanded there are only 20 relics in the game or there's 21 um but and that number is important because i wanted the relics to have um a similar amount of circulation as the sites yeah uh because they should be familiar you should have heard about them like when you discover the drowned city you're like oh yeah like a few games ago i was i right. did a bunch of stuff in drowned city so i want the relics to be like semi-legendary like they need to be like they don't they shouldn't feel common yeah. but they need enough that like no you'll see like a third of them and if you play a few games like that whistle is going to come back you remember that whistle right like um so i wanted like a little bit and actually one th one thing that takes the relics out of circulation is the winner um who becomes the chancellor puts the relics in the reliquary so the winning combo which like if you imagine often the the the, the chancellor's the winner's relics probably got used a lot. They won the game after right, all. Right. So those go in the reliquary where they're kind of like locked away. So you tend not to get like tired of them. There's all this sneaky stuff in Oath that like pushes cards that you've seen a lot into like the middle space of like just out of your short-term memory. Hmm. Um, and, and it kind of lends them like auras. Uh, at the same time, I would love like a relic crafting system where players who are winning who are building stuff can like piece together powers and like add them to a relic yeah. deck and and can can have more of a um a personal touch to the way the world builds out um i think there's more room for ruins uh there's like tons of design space there's actually i have like got a list of like 40 cards there there's tons of design space left in this game hmm. um but one thing i did um so oath has this impossible scope and it's hard for me to imagine it growing and so at every step especially because the game's so expensive i have and I, I told this to everybody on the development team uh this might be the only game like this that we ever get to do right right the future is an uncertain thing uh games are a industry that goes up and down this game is a risk it is not there were different titles that we could have made that would have been safer from like a market standpoint. Uh, but what excited me about Oath was, I think I talked to you about this the last time we spoke, was its sense of urgency. It is 
too large for a small studio to attempt and it's too risky for a, a large studio to deal with. Mm-hmm. They don't want to fuss around with it. Um, and so for that reason, uh, it was perfect for us. Right. But it had every, to be leader games. It like had, yeah, it had to be leader <laughs> games or, 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 or yeah. It like, and it, I also felt like this is a really cool idea for a game. I think only now, I mean, I've wanted to make this game for a really, really long yeah, time. Right. Like a lot. I mean, in some ways, the earliest versions of Oath are like the first games I ever tried making. Right. And it was only now, especially after Underworld and Pamir and some other things that I felt like, okay, I have the skill set and I have the team and everything's set up. So I, I told everybody on the team constantly, like, this game is really special and strange. And I want everybody to like push themselves and make it amazing because we there's a very good chance that we're never going to get a swing like this again. Mm-hmm. So let's really swing it now. So in that, if oath, you know, has trouble selling and never gets an expansion, like I will not weep. I will not be upset. It's mm-hmm. fine. I'm very happy. I made the thing I got to make. Um, and, and it, it feels full, right? On the other hand, if it finds an audience and it might, because it's an odd enough duck that it could <laughs> gather some people around it. Uh, what one sign is that when I look at my playtesting feed, uh, feedback, there are a lot of groups who have played this like into their twenties. Yeah. That is extremely rare for a playtesting group. There's right. high level. And, and like, look, even, even th- this oath crew has burnout. Everybody has br- burnout. There's nothing wrong with that. But that same thing of like, like the fact that right now in the process as we're submitting PPC files, I still kind of want to play a game of Oath. And normally, <laughs> right sign. now, I'm, yeah, yeah. Normally, I'm sick of it. But I even told after I'm going on like a little a little uh, trip up up to the North Woods soon to kind of celebrate the end of uh, the end of development. And I, I I told one of one of my one of my groups of friends that like, hey, when I get back, like, let's do a little Oath campaign. Let's like play a, a set of five games in a row. And and they were down. And so like that, like that's a good sign. But who knows, right? My my tastes are strange. Um, all of that said, if it finds an audience, there are places where I want to take this system and how I'm conceiving of an expansion. What I imagine I'm going to do is I'm going to slow cook an expansion with, with the lowest levels of commitment. And then in March, so like people will have got, already gotten their game. Mm-hmm. Now there's some reviews out. If in March things are looking good, then I'll make that the project I do after Root Stuff. But my ideas for the expansion are... I really want, so I, I did a lot of history reading. This is the craziest, longest answer. You had no idea what you're getting into. <laughs> um, I did a lot of reading um, in the second half of Oath's development uh, and thinking about the kinds of history that Oath can tell really well and the kinds of history that Oath can't. Mm. Uh, Oath is very good at like internal conflict. It's very good at like morality, turns of fate. Like It's very player-driven. Uh, and so I kind of want a expansion that explores losses of control and external forces. Mm. So I'm calling it like the gods and invaders oh expansion God. where, where like, where, where you've got like <laughs> maybe some kind of like it's maybe it's factional. Maybe it's like an actual just asymmetrical position mm-hmm. of like a horde, like some kind of invading force. And then making the oath state like a little bit of a borderland and thinking about some of the borderland politics. And then um, also 
potentially building out the darkest secret game to a game about that, that has to do with like you know things outside of the player's direct control and mm-hmm. kind of filling out magic systems and stuff like that so i'm i, mean, I want to kind of like deepen the game's lore we have so uh, oath oh, this is the last little kind of footnote here i have a ton of oath lore tons um, I don't share it with anybody, not even Kyle, in fact. And so like, there was a point where I was telling Kyle I was writing all this this oath lore and sorting this stuff. And he's like, oh, cool. You should give it to me if you want it in the art. And I'm like, you know, I kind of just want you to build it the way you think it should be built. And then I will get to kind of like integrate that into my own narrative practice. And then it's all going to go into the soup of what the player, you know, every every work is always... Um, it comes into definition at the intersection of like the writer and the reader, right? So like everybody's going to be filling into this thing together. Sure. Um, but I already have like a lot of headcanon stuff going on, and so I want to I want to even deepen that further. With You've gone material. full Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so with with all this kind of big stuff behind you, but you you mentioned in there that that I mean obviously you you kind of expect Root to be next. You're 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 looking to get your head back into the the root world what's what um direction are you trying to push root into what what is the future of root looking like for you right now from a from a design um standpoint so i have have a few connected things i'm working on with respect to root so uh the obvious thing that i want are more factions i Mm -hmm. want more factions especially those factions that have higher peace counts Mm-hmm. Um, factions that like play in the two-player space. Like I love birds versus moles and cats versus moles, and I want another faction, yeah. at least one, maybe even two more that kind of can like work in that dyad. Um, I have a couple insurgent factions, one of which is like hilarious, and I it 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 it, it demands a certain type of production thing that I don't know if we can make it work yet. <laughs> Um, I like it, it is, um, when, when I, when I prototyped it, I think I made Nick like laugh uncontrollably when he saw what I was doing. Um, and so like, I, I'm trying to sort that out and see like, is this actually a good idea or am I just being charmed by my own tomfoolery? It's always, always the problem. Um, and so I, I want another insurgent faction. I wouldn't mind another single pawn faction or two, or even a faction. What I would really like, this is something I'm kind of low key considering, is a different kind of vagabond. Mm. So I have this idea for like a double faced vagabond that <laughs> um, you can plug the other vagabonds in. So like it what will does that work. Mean? Okay, well it will work. It will work with any of the vagabonds. It's like a class. It's like a vagabond class. You like get your vagabond and you like plug it into this vagabond shell. I'm speaking metaphorically. This isn't like a mech. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I, I can't follow Ti. They've they've got mechs. I get it. They can have their mechs. Um, I, what I really want to do is talk to you guys about the TI expansion, but we won't do that. <laughs> I mean, we can do that, but there's, there's I have, a time I just, I'm so worried. I'm so worried. Oh, um, I think we're going to have to have it. you back soon. <laughs> I know. Well, it's, I mean, this is a very slight, this is a very slight tangent. There are many things that I'm excited about in the TI expansion. And you, you, uh, you all know that I'm like a long time. I've been playing since second edition. Yeah, yeah. I deeply love and admire TI. And 
what what I admired most about TI four was its incredible re restraint and sure. streamline it the quality. oh yeah dane, dane let go of all that huh didn't he <laughs> oh yeah this like this looks like a i mean this expansion is like a fever dream do you know what i mean it just seems absolutely like absolutely i do yeah we put it all we put we did it all Every we ate idea. the whole pie we ate the whole pie i can't believe it and so like i th that that has me worried on the other hand i recently had the chance to play titanfall 2 which i know is a very old game um, not very old. It's a little old. It's a little outmoded. <laughs> but I played Titanfall two. Do you have you guys played this? Uh, no, not know, really. Titanfall no, 2? no. Okay, here's Titanfall two. You start on the you're in these city blocks and you're you're it's a squad level first person shooter capture points etc. Right, and it's great. The gunplay's great. You've got grappling hooks, which is kind of hilarious. And there's like it's it's like Apex Legends, the same team. But then halfway through the game. You call down giant robots, which you climb into, and then you have robot battles. And if you like, you can jump onto somebody's robot, robot, and pull out the battery. You can, and <laughs> like th this game. When someone p told me about it, I was like, "Oh, that sounds like it was pitched by an 18-year-old who has never designed a game." <laughs> and yet, when I got a chance to play it, I was so impressed by how tight it was and how well it all hung together, despite the fact that it seemed like it was just like designed like a like suit like just a crazy um like i don't know like soup that you throw everything in the kitchen in um so with the ti expansion i am pumped because about half of the stuff on it i was like yes 100 percent. i love i i i am a one of the few people who loves a player ti oh interesting i think so I, you're I maniacal. I think eight player, <laughs> player, my favorite way of playing TI used to be seven or eight player games. Wow. We would set up a ladder. We had long tables at the, our game store when I was in high school. We set up a ladder style universe with like two medium sized universes and then Mechatol <laughs> being in the middle with the wormholes connecting them. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yes, yeah, yeah. And we could play, we had all played a lot of TI. We could play in four hours. Wow. And it was divine. It felt so good. It felt so good. And I like. I'm just trying to go back to those halcyon days. Um, so, so much of uh, of 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 TI, I am of the expansion. I'm excited for. Of course, I'm going to get it and try to sort through it. But at some like from from a design development standpoint, I'm like, what are you? You put it all in. What yeah, are you doing? It's the wild uh, west, baby. Well, and also like. Um, that comment, and you guys have talked about this to death. You, you don't need to hear me prattle on about it. But that comment in the unboxing where he was like, it's not modular. You <laughs> you, you either play with all yeah. of it or you play with none of it. And, and he also made that comment about how like there was no way you could fit it in the box, yeah. which to me just seems like a lie. <laughs> like, like there is seriously, there's no way that's true. There's tons of empty space in the TI box. Dude, I'm I'm telling you, there's a lot in this expansion. Um, it's a, yeah, it's I, I, boatfuls of stuff. Well, I'm I'm excited for it all the same. I I'm 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 excited and worried. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll have to maybe we'll just have to play a game. One I think of these we days. will. Yeah, this was a delightful uh, tangent to. Uh, you you explaining your own expansions uh yeah well i i, I have such okay so well ask your question i don't need to interrupt <laughs> well asking. well i i guess the, the only other spot i want to get to is um you know you're t you're, you're talking about the things you want to add and it, it feels like there's a, a desire now for 
um, lot a lot of variance in root that you're, you know you're you're wanting more ways to play two player games that that get new factions into the mix and all of that. Uh, is that like ever where you dreamed root would be when you started it? Because you know in my head root started as a as a tight four player interlocking system. You know these things kind of all balance <laughs> off of each other. So how has that design like changed? throughout the expansions and going forward into them, do you, do you think about the game as a completely different game now? I, there is a funny thing. So when I started, it, it, I was so indebted to coin, to Boko right. coin games, that uh, Root was only a four-player experiment. And also, people forget this, but like Vast is very, even though there are player configurations, um, Vast is uh, is like anti-modular. Like it's very much like you need this character is fighting this yeah. character, which is fighting that character, and you kind of like need all of the pieces of the web to hold together. Now, of course, there are variants, but like the core Vast experience depends on like hero versus monster versus setting, and like you have the horde mm -hmm. in there and all, mm -hmm. all the rest. Um, and so that was the standard and my own like little contribution was like, Oh, we coin, like we, we can, we can do that. We can, we can make these two conversations talk to we, these two uh, separate conversations about asymmetry, talk to each other. Um, and then a really, so when we launched the Kickstarter, we had only barely like pitched and talked about the expansion factions. Like they mm -hmm. were like, they were kind of like twinkles in our eyes. I mean, it was like very, there's, they, they were not formed. They, yeah. they really came to life after the Kickstarter ended, I started working on them. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to a friend from Texas about uh, who's, who's a friend I met through uh, grad school. And he said, man, I'm going to like, I'm going to main, I want to main that raccoon. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, like you like this because you're into MOBAs and you're thinking about these different characters, these different factions, not as, characters in an ecosystem but as like class choices right which is a totally different way of thinking about like what a faction is which meant it was a lot more like ti yeah yeah or like starcraft and so as we were go so like there was actually there was a pivot in the development that december where um you know it used to be for instance that the alliance all of their actions were baked into the deck of cards mm -hmm. and the deck of cards had like a suit a craft and then they had a scheme or something i can't remember maybe i call them conspiracies i can't remember what i call them uh something and that thing was like the secret plot right. that the well, the alliance could use um and as i was working on it, it that system was was um having and you know like everything footnote i wrote a really long designer diary about the woodland alliance you can find it somewhere um and and, and the changes that happened during that development but one of the real say one of the things that was happening at the same time was like okay so the woodland alliance was a little busted i had to fix them but at the same time i started thinking oh i have to build these other factions and the woodland alliance may not be in the game so what am i doing giving them real estate on one of the common right. game elements that's right. crazy um, and so one, one thing that guided their revision was this idea that, you know, I want to make the game work at, in, in the va in the, the widest, um, set of, of combinations. And so I started finding myself drawing on MOBAs and RTS games and that kind of like, in terms of thinking about the limits of the asymmetry. Now, on the one hand, that is limiting because 
I can't build two positions that are super interconnected mm -hmm. because if their partner isn't at the dance, they still need to be able to dance with somebody else. Right. 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 And so I started thinking about like them in terms of more abstract archetypes, like, oh, this one's a controller, like a tank, but not even that works because you, I, I think the game is best when it's a little bit more like Cosmic Encounter, where like the faction combinations can be like a little busted and totally off, mm -hmm. but it will still generate a cogent game state or viable game state might right. be a better word. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was actually really happy. This is just a, a small footnote for if all this MOBA balancing stuff interests any of your listeners and they haven't played vast the mysterious manner they should play vast the mysterious manner because that i was development lead on that i worked really hard on that game and it is like a like a tactics moba it's like a, a very like uh micro tactical high highly asymmetrical but like very clear counter moves and moves and different strategic paths built mm -hmm. into the characters and so i wanted you know i wanted some of that like in in the root expansions and so when i when i think about the thing you know the highest priority for root is i want the game to continue to be viable so all the new content that's getting introduced i don't want it to make anything obsolete so everything has to be viable with everything else and i also uh i, I want to just kind of ex expand like cosmic encounter just the types of different games that you can see right yeah and so the highest priority for root expansions are new factions okay. and i would love for the expansion box to have three okay wow or so maybe not a new map or maybe a new map we're not sure we have some maps <laughs> that patrick's working on so like but my biggest priority is new factions okay i will probably not do another deck i love the exiles and partisans deck it does everything i want it to do i'm good i okay. might do another deck someday but like it, I think the Exiles and Partisans deck is quite good. Um, I, I can think of a couple other like deck type things that I might I might try, but I'm probably not gonna, you know. Yeah. Are Are there any other systems that you're just kind of looking at in general? Whether I mean, I, I don't know what else you could even really mess with, but is there anything else that isn't on a faction level that you wouldn't mind at least attempting to address, or is it you know items so or something like that? Yeah, so I want, I mean, well, I mean, many of these things are addressed through factions. I'm looking yeah. for factions that explore the the forest, the forest spaces sure. more. Uh, I'm look, I've got a uh, faction idea that does interact with items because I want like a little bit more tension on that, yeah. on that kind of public system. Um, I wouldn't mind a faction that played with the turn order, turn structure a little bit. Oh, interesting. Um, not, not in like a, a huge way, but in a way that, you know, still the game the game should feel different for their inclusion mm -hmm. and this is actually a very important asymmetric test that i have which is uh i, I try to make this true for every game i, I work on um if I, I sit down and play a game with you i want to know that i'm playing with you the game should feel different for your presence at the mm -hmm. table mm -hmm. and in root you know there were versions of various factions at different times where it's like, oh, this faction is cool, but you're kind of doing your own thing. And I want, I want to feel you in the game. I want to feel the like, you know, I want you to feel like you, you are, you are shaping uh, the narrative space of the game. Right. And so like in the way that in oath, um, especially when you're first learning the game, sometimes there's like a little bit of downtime between turns, but there's usually some something interesting happening 
and I, I and it, it is it is going to impact me in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So I, I want you know with root, I want those things felt. Uh, so you know, factions primary thing. Um, the one one thing that I uh, am interested in doing is so in terms of the core systems, um, there there are a couple things I'm, I'm toying with. Uh, I'm thinking about building. This is a this is a very like flight of fancy thing. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Well, I'll say it anyway. Um, <laughs> See, this is why. So I, I, I've never signed an NDA for anything. Really <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. I can, you know, everyone, even Gates, is like, you know what? Talk about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so, one thing I would like to do uh, is I want to revise the game setup rules. This is actually the most important thing that needs revised: is mm-hmm. the setup rules. The setup rules. Um, we're really built in a world where there are only four root factions. And as factions are added, they're like kind of stretching past their like limit of how they even work. Um, And so uh, this is why I'm very interested in you guys' effort in doing the tournament play, which we'll we'll get into shortly, I imagine. Um, (laughs) Because they... um, they are adjacent and parallel and similar to some ideas I was having. I think they're very good. And when it, when it comes to the way factions are set up, it's the kind of stuff I, I kind of want to fold in. And um, I'm so I want setup rules that are like a little more modular. Yeah. And I also want to provide players with a way to, um, I want to lend them a hand in their metagame, their root metagame. Yes. Right. Yeah. So this is like, this is the main, one of my main takeaways from Oath that's been really lovely. Uh-huh is players always develop a meta right a meta the meta cannot help but happen uh but if you give them like a foothold they will climb to places that they hadn't thought they would ever be able to to stand on Mm -hmm. like it's really amazing um and with root i'm think i'm working through a couple different frameworks about how i can apply some of the lessons of oath so i'm working on for instance uh a limited campaign system for oath I for for root rather mm-hmm. that all it does it's it's quite simple really but it it just it it just has a little map uh, a little bit like the Titan map and the way the Titan map works is uh, have you either have you played have you played Titan? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh, Titan's incredible! <laughs> oh, I could wax poetic about Titan all night, so I won't. But Titan is is an amazing design, and uh, every hex in Titan or every every spot in Titan where you have battles, I think they're hexagonal, um, is like, uh, it, it, it is a terrain map. So like, you know, the marsh mm-hmm. and it has, there's actually in the box, this like little marsh sheet that shows where the swamps and trees are and stuff. But, uh, critically they're oriented differently. So if you attack the marsh from one way, depending on how the little tile is, you will flip that the board around so that every single marsh tile could be used kind of six different ways. Hmm. So what I was thinking about is kind of adapting that to root and doing it where I take the four maps that we have, and maybe if we add two more maps, we'll have six, right? And then every one of those six maps, or every one of those six maps could be four different things because they can be rotated differently. Wow. Okay. And and then you have like a world map of Oath where if you go to invade like a neighboring territory, it's a forest <laughs> and it will set the rotation of the forest based on how you enter it. Um, and w- what I'm hoping that this does is it provides players a way to do like limited campaigns where if they want to string a few games of root together, wow. 
they can do that. Um, and I have I have some ideas about about sorting through some of that stuff, um, but it's it's all pretty it's all pretty early. Yeah, that's that's um, wildly interesting though of just a of a concept that to me sounds like a completely different um, way to even think about playing root which is like as i mean like you're saying as this campaign experience this thing that is like more about exploration which i i think for hunter and i has actually also still always been a part of the experience of root is exploring um those faction combinations right each game is well let's uncover what it means for these four factions to be in this game and now we have to figure out what that you know what the terms of war are basically you know what 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 the balance will be you get into this um what what i love operational war games they're my favorite genre of war game and i used to play i had a brief like warhammer period like i think everybody (laughs) every midwestern kid with a tiny bit of disposable income probably (laughs) bought some some secondhand Warhammer miniatures. And one of my favorite ways to play Warhammer when I would play it in like middle school is that we would we would play kind of campaigns where you would lose troops and you're like, oh like can I I have to win a battle to like get some points back. And so you'd you'd make these like desperate gambits and they just put so much pressure on the individual battles. I mean it's a little bit actually a simple version of that would be uh, there's a really excellent card game called Condotaire which is or Conditeri maybe it's one of my favorite games and it's a, it's a card game it's a trick taking game basically about battles of you're playing mercenaries in Italy and uh, it's it's fabulous you should you should all have a copies it's an amazing game um, and the object of the game is that you have to win three tricks in a row every time you win a trick wherever the little pawn is on the map you put your little control disc on it and then you the winner of the battle chooses where where the next province that will be fought over and all you're trying to do is connect three in a row Hmm. but that very simple geometric pressure uh puts or that very simple geometric goal puts so much pressure on each individual battle because now i know that if like you know let's say hunter if hunter wins this next battle he will win the game but I don't want to spend my best cards because I need to win a battle like on the southern part of right. Italy. And and then and, and Hunter might be thinking like, okay, well, I'm going to use this battle to draw out people's strongest cards, and then I'm actually going to try to win a battle here. And I I love I love that yeah. that like campaign style thinking is so interesting. And I think Root is a expressive enough system that it could have some something like a small campaign module i don't know if it's going to work yet i mean i have i have notes for it and then much of my work over the next like month is going to be taking out all my notes mapping out some different ways of looking and then making some hard decisions about where i'm going to Mm -hmm. spend development bandwidth and so you know all the wild random things i've been talking about over the past 20 minutes uh, a small portion of them will will get time and get you know right put right. in the machine. So you brought up uh, the tournament stuff earlier, and and yeah. it ties to the conversation of of setup methods and things like that. And, and I mean, you you have sort of touched on that topic before in the past, and that was something we kind of wanted to to look at even just within the community and really we 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 planted the seed with a handful of community members and then they took it and they just completely ran away with it and did like some really really cool stuff but yeah we we're hoping to not hoping we are now going to be 
uh, hosting a tournament here pretty soon. It looks like middle of October, uh, and uh, Gates has already agreed politely to uh, provide some prize support for this little mini tournament. Just It's just going to be four games leading into one final, so 16, uh, 16 sure. players. Um, but I kind of wanted to like throw this draft method at you and see... Uh, you know, kind of where it sticks for you uh, in terms of like the setup method you're, you're talking about, because uh, I think there's some interesting topics that get brought up within it that the, the group was really cognizant of your design. And, and I think this feeds into it really well. So just just for the listener, the overview, I won't read like the whole stinking sheet here that that the community has developed. But basically, it's called the plus one pool draft method. And it is a way to set up um, all of the components of root uh, with um, a competitive mindset uh, so that you get a game that is as balanced as possible. But my, my favorite thing about it is the idea that the players become responsible for the ecosystem that they are putting together within the game. Um, that That's kind of always been... That's like the thing that any old group sits down to play Root. When, if yeah. they have both expansions, you're like, well, what are we going to do this time? Is this a, is this a duchy, eerie, woodland alliance thing? What is, what's our vibe? Um, yeah. And this is a way to kind of help produce those outcomes the 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 gist of it is you actually take your player count so in our tournament you know we're going to play four player games and you pull five factions from the bag right so in this case i mean it's only you know five out of eight total factions um nine if we're counting second vagabond you know how all, all that goes but you draw one additional faction and so from those five factions the any set of four needs to have what what you guys have deemed the kind of minimum reach, which is 17, right? So we, we, we are using your guys' reach method to make sure we get games that aren't just totally busted and, and kind of fruitless. Um, but so taking that 17 reach with any possible combination of the four factions and then... Uh, determining seating order, a uh, player chooses a map, we choose a deck, it's almost always Exiles and Partisans deck is what is chosen. Um, but the big thing, and this was something that I think you even suggested to us one time when we were just sort of like brainstorming little thoughts about setup order, you, you said you maybe wanted to play with card draw. So we incorporate, we, we had them incorporate a little bit of card draw into this where uh, the players that are going to pick their factions uh, or, or no, the players that are going to have their turn order be last end up getting more cards to draw from. Or am I getting that? I, I think I might be getting it backwards. Even Hunter's played more of this than I have. But regardless, uh, you draw starting hands. Some players end up with more cards that they will then discard down to three. And then you each in turn in, in this drafting order, uh, reverse turn order, you pick factions. So uh, what what we have seen in the community is at the very least in the very first round, but kind of then continuing throughout the rest of the game, turn order matters quite a bit. You know, something like the biggest thing that people call attention to is cats sort of almost need to go first <laughs> to like function in some games. If, if other players choose, they want to like really do something to them. So this sort of accounts for that by, you know, the last picked faction is going to go first. Uh, and so then 
you get everything set up from there. I think the area that this group chose to play with the least is uh, messing with actual setup order. I think it's just so set in stone, like what's on yeah, the back of these faction to, yeah. sheets. I think we, we saw it as sort of the area of like, if Cole eventually wants to, you know, really tear apart <laughs> the setup order, sure, we'll leave that up to you. Uh, but I, I'm just so, so I, I'm curious to get your, your take a little bit on, you know, w- where you see this system leading and if it, it falls in line with kind of like, what you could see competitive play look like. And, and maybe we can just talk a little bit about competitive play in general. So first I was a little nervous about this because, <laughs> well, because I, you know, I don't know. It's roots, my baby. Yeah. And I want, I want it to be, I want it. Um, and, and also I have some worries about com- competitive totally. play because I yeah. think that um, root is not, calibrated finely enough mm-hmm. to produce like all like to have a natural drafting system uh organically produce all of the all of the characters and combinations yeah and so like the, one an example here is like something like league of legends a very very small percentage of their characters are tournament viable dota it's a lot more but yeah. dota's also been a more stable game it's existed a little bit longer and it i think that they have a very different business model too mm-hmm. um so my own my own thing here is that i think with with a lot of t- a lot of times competitive tabletop games don't look anything like the actual tabletop game mm-hmm. they get so like warped yeah. And so with Root, the thing that is so special to me about Root is uh, how wild the different faction combinations can be. Yeah. And having to like adapt and, and read those ecosystems, like that's what you'd want a tournament to measure. Right. How well could you read the ecosystem and then act within it? Um, and so I, I was worried about a drafting competitive system because I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to like counterpick you and yeah, counterpick you right. and all that stuff. Because now I'm going into my faction design, if that's the governing tournament mode i'm thinking like oh what's the vagabond counter and like right. that's a garbage way of, of <laughs> trying to design something yeah i don't i mean it's, it's just so limiting um whereas root is fundamentally like a lot more like cosmic encounter and i don't know if there are cosmic encounter tournaments but like i don't know if there are which is weird <laughs> it's hard that, to even imagine what that super, looks like super crazy yeah well, i mean and you, i mean this is actually a place where root is so different from ti because like when i play yeah. when i'm selecting my root factions Everybody at the table has this like, I don't know, like kind of smirking, like, ooh, what are we gonna do? What weird thing? Like, mm-hmm. hey, what if we do like otters, Woodland Alliance, Corvids, Fury? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like what like weird What does that what, even like, weird, mean? Yeah, what what does that even gonna look like? Let's put the lizards in there. Like uh, you know, people love riding, at least I do, and um I love riding that like low reach tournament because you want like the ones right on the cusp yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Right. Um and so the thing I love most about this is just the, the notion of the faction pool that like yes. you're going to draw N plus one faction counters. And as long as it's viable, you go with it. And yep. so you might get a weird pool. Right. And then, and then you have to ask when you're doing this draft, like, okay, like which one of these is going to be the right one? Where do I want to um, fit into this space? That that was a big yeah. consideration of those two. This, this method actually did start off earlier with a... Um, th- there was a point where they were going to have all factions available for the drafting and they ran into exactly all the issues yep, you saw, yep. which was just like, ah, it's just boring. Nobody ever picks cats. Everybody always goes for vac. No, it's just, is, it I mean, gets boring. 
and, and this is true of like pretty much any competitive oh, absolutely. game yeah. with a fixed position. Yeah. And there are like, you know, I, um, I like love reading articles about strategy articles about diplomacy and they treat it like chess, right there. And yeah. even diplomacy, which has so much game to game variation based on just the players playing it, there are particular gambits and, you know, moves and counter moves and, all, and everything's been very like kind of cleanly mapped. And that is just so against the, the spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, the, the one thing that I am like concerned, intrigued, whatever about this is, so first of all, I'm really happy they included the suggestion or you guys included the suggestion of the starting hands yeah. as informing the draft because there's nothing worse than like picking a faction and then drawing your hands and be like oh this hand is not good yeah with my pick yeah. and i i just immediately have this like friction point whereas a faction that might normally not be good is suddenly good if you have the right hand so i think like going into the draft knowing what the hands are is is a good idea yeah um but there's this weird thing about it. I was going to ask you about it because you guys probably have the explanation. So it seems to me like it's backwards. Mm. Like, why would you allow the person with the most cards in their hand to draft first? <laughs> Hunter's making, I, it, Hunter's throwing his hands up because he he agrees. So go yeah. expound on that. What's what? Where do you oh, see yeah, the so, issue? So, where do you see so, the so, issue? Okay, there are going first in route is is good yeah because uh th there is no guarantee that the game is gonna that every rather most games people are not gonna have the same number of turns so if you go first you're basically getting a turn yeah on everyone else now the the reason why this is not a big problem from a design standpoint in my opinion is because so much of root is about tempo management and in fact you the, the person who is going first who has that is also probably going to be interrupting the player in the previous turn so there's like a big like what is it zugzwang or something right like there, there's this big like management and like move counter move thing that that is going on and and figuring out who is going to sneak out the extra turn and not have to play policeman yeah. is like part of the, that's part of the fun of the thing um but there outside of all that there is still an advantage to going first it's part of the game uh and it's a big enough advantage that it's like it's the elephant it's the yeah. elephant <laughs> um but what what alarms me about the, not alarm that's such a strong word uh what, what i'm very intrigued by the fact that this this method basically counterbalances that that by doing two things it's giving that like it's saying hey you person at the end not only are you going to get more cards, uh, which you're going to draft your hand from, right? Uh, because you don't start with extra cards, do you? Oh, you do. Maybe you do. No, no, I'm no. But sure. you, you, you deal back down to three. So you will still only end up with the root three cards in your hand. You yeah, just okay, get to cool, sort cool. of. Good, good, good. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't remember. Yeah. Um, so, like, not only are you going to get the better hand to draft from, you're also going to get the first pick of faction, which could be a huge deal. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, my inclination would be you just draft factions uh, like either you have cards in anti-card order like you have the high card like i i would want to decouple those things and say like if you're sitting if you have last pick you should either be going first or be having the full card yeah the, the full hand of cards um and you know maybe there's a world well i hate to complicate it but like these things can also be decoupled you can mm -hmm. do it a two-way uh, you, you could draft for both like if you took the um 
the lettered tiles, which we have yet to do anything with, the A through D tile. Yeah, yeah. And so you put all the factions out, and then you put the A through D tile, and you do two rounds of drafts. And in the first round, you pick your table seat, and in the second round, or, you know, in the first yes. round, you can pick either one. So you like you can make the choice that you're like, wow, with this faction combination, I really want to go first. And I want to go first so badly yeah. that I will pick to go first and sacrifice my choice of first faction. Yeah. Or something like that. It's hilarious. Um, we are in complete agreement on this. This this is I, I love a serpentine draft. Like I'm 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 just so big on it. It's what we always try to do in our um Twilight Imperium tournaments and you know, basically the answer I've been given by the group that really, really put in the work uh, on this was that the hand filtering stuff, the, the being able to like get a better ha a hand was less impactful than they had expected. And so they kind of they decided to keep it in because it just felt like a fun, enriched decision. Like it, f it felt like a small boost, but it's not nearly as impactful to like the whole scope of of the rest of the game as they thought it would be compared to turn order versus faction pick. Order. Yeah. That was yeah, more I, important I than super, the hand. I would be super interested mm -hmm. if like, I, I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, so all the stuff we're going to have to, we're, we'll have to test, I guess, but <laughs> I, I would be very interested in if you were faced with four factions, let's mm -hmm. say the original four factions of the game and four seating positions. Right. Like, which one would you pick first? My inclination is that the faction order is probably stronger. Yes, I agree. Right? You like you want the faction. But once the the two prime picks are gone, it might it might it might mix it might in a way matter. that is yeah, it might not matter. Maybe it comes out in the wash and this ends up being where you get. I would just be like the player, I mean, maybe maybe this is what I'm thinking about. Like the player who is stuck, the player who doesn't get to choose their faction or who only gets to pick one of the two. Yeah. I want to give that player extra cards. Yeah. Like that. I, I think, you know, even, even if the first faction pick goes to the, the player who's in last mm -hmm. from seating order, I have no objection to that. That's fine. Whatever. But the player who didn't get a choice of, of fat or who had, who had the least choice in faction, I sort of want to give that player, the more cards extra cards yeah. so that they can draft a because what what that's what that's telling us is that in this combination these might be like b or c tier factions which is true right, right. that that happens right and so with a strong hand though that is a, a, a very right nice simple handicap because if you start the cats with two bird cards they could be monsters right Right. Well, it's also um, it, in my view. Yeah, it's it's allowing you to make a more informed decision. If you're the player stuck with three cards and then you're also stuck with two factions, it's like, yeah, I'm going to get to go first. But the choice I'm making between these two factions is almost meaningless. It's just that it, it becomes a stylistic choice. But if I'm the player I, I, with the six cards looking at two factions, I get to look at these six cards and go, OK, which combination of three of these cards can I make work with? which of these two mm -hmm. factions and, and you know and you can they're like yeah there 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 are different ways that it, it could be done but i mean i really think like yeah i mean I, basically reading this and having talked about it a little bit with you the only thing i want to do yeah. is just flip, flip where the, the where, where, where flip where the cards go everything else looks looks great I, and i will say that that card thing i had a great game as the cats recently where i it was like probably my best cat game 
where I got Erie Emigre crafted very early. Mm. And I had like the right cards at the right time. And I so dominated that game <laughs> that like there were two players like trying to deal with me. I was like, no, I'm too strong. You can't, you can't. Like, I, I just felt like uh, I had like had my hand on them the entire yeah. game. And it was, you know, that that's the particular card. And they should like, man, somebody used a sabotage and they didn't kill my eerie emigre and they rued the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. they, they, they just made they're like oh coffin makers i'm so i gotta get rid of that one and i'm like no you don't know this is a free moving attack i'm getting every turn um, <laughs> well yeah, that's so I, 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 i'm I thrilled with that answer i i my hope is that your word holds more weight than than minor hunters and and maybe even before the tournament we make that slight adjustment to the draft we'll see what the team you know i i i'm i'm up for leaving it in their hands a little bit but i think when they hear your pushback they may be we'll willing see. to <laughs> to go well, in another direction but it like you know it's the kind of thing that if you do pick the faction that is favored in that combination yeah the the extra cards that you have probably aren't going to matter right. to you right it's really when you get the faction like think about the, the factions that are most variable like the cats or the lizards or something yeah man the right hand can really just change everything, everything totally. for that uh, which is fine. That's like that, that's by design. And I'm just I'm very excited about the possibility of a game like this being able to work in a semi-competitive um, yeah. system. And in fact, one thing that we we had looked into doing, doing this a long time ago, and I might still try to do it, is have some kind of like rough root ELO system, oh, like God. self-reported, of course. <laughs> um, just like some way that you could log your games, mm -hmm. like some central database. I know the Woodland Warriors have a, have a database, which which is nice. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not, I do not mean to be meaning. It's amazing. And I, I love that, that Discord. In fact, yeah. the stuff that is being made for oath right now is so flipping cool <laughs> i cannot like I, I've, I've been avoiding talking about it publicly too much um i mean even though like anybody can join the woodland warriors anybody can find out about what what um one of the users has cooking but like just such wonderful tools yeah um and it makes it so easy to be like wait you know he asked me um the the person who's coding this if he could have a card export and i'm like of course of course <laughs> export of wow. the cards for this dope tool you're yeah, designing yeah. Uh, so you don't have to go scrubbing a tts mod for something that takes me like three seconds to generate <laughs> and uh we actually just had a meeting with the the team where i i told them some of the things that we were working on and it was like okay i just want to make sure we're all like still comfortable with the fact that i'm just basically like sharing the oath files with everyone um and, you know, of course, we'll downsample the art a little bit. We don't want any pirates or sure, anything like that. Sure. But my own sense, I mean, I, I, I have, I've really, I've really come around on this because I, for a long time, when it came to design and sharing files and stuff like that, I was pretty close fisted. Mm. Um, I really admire like John Boer's work at Winsome which is a very like, you know, he doesn't even post his rules online. Mm -hmm. And his whole idea is like, basically when you own a board game, you have the license to it, to own your one copy, to play right. it with friends, you can loan it. But a TTS model is like, a module is like antithetical because right. it's like giving away your game for free. And he would always say that like, you know, even though his games don't really have any production costs, the, what you're paying for is the design. Right Now, as someone who works like, 11 hours a day on design 
I am always a little sad when we have like the price conversation at work. Sure. And we calibrate the MSRPs based entirely on production costs. And mm-hmm. I think about like, what about all of like the sweat and the blood and the exhaustion of like myself <laughs> and Kyle and the development team? Like, doesn't that get factored into this flipping retail price don't at you all? Care? Yeah, don't yeah, don't, aren't these people willing to pay for like something? And it's like, no, the retail prices in board games are <laughs> completely, completely a product yeah. of the physical components. Um, but what we found what what everyone knows to be true is that when you open up a system and lower the barriers to entry there are enough people who recognize that if they support you directly they'll get more stuff like that totally that it more than makes up the difference and i was so moved by this that like when drew and i did um the premiere too like that's why we put it in the public domain yeah. we're not signing the public domain exactly it's in the creative commons okay. under a non-commercial so like anybody who wants to play premiere like you can go to the the link on our website or on the Kickstarter and you can just download it all at print resolution as long as you don't try to sell it. Yeah. And you know, we, this is why the the TTS is public and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced in this as a model. And I also think it's intellectually the most defensible position Mm -hmm. just in terms of like, what does it mean? Like you can't own an idea and games are just ideas. Right. So, with root this is this is a very high fluent tangent but all i mean to say just kind of wrapping it back up is that when when i think about root one of the amazing things about root has been the people who play root and who've come to adopt this thing and so it's my attitude and it's the attitude of everybody else at leader games for that matter that like we want to take care of these people because they're also taking care of us which and and frankly, like these drafting rules are beautiful. They're very well done. I agree. And the quality of the content that is coming out of the root community is like staggering. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so kudos to them. Uh, well, and kudos to you all. And I think that that is certainly why um, people follow Leader Games so closely and follow you know you and your brother as designers so closely is because of that. That. <laughs> ethical standard you guys have set and it's i mean it certainly makes it more engaging for us um to to want to to be a part of that it's it's like you're saying you know we you know our our community even was outspoken enough where they said you know hey we're gonna pick another game to talk about what do you want it to be and and the feelings for root were strong enough that that's why we kind of devoted ourselves to it so much and and we immediately also felt that attachment and and i think a huge part of that is because of the community spirit that you all at leader games have fostered so you know right back at you basically oh, good. well look at this look at this little love fest here at the end <laughs> what a good um, note to to kind of go out on of just you know let's kumbaya our way <laughs> well it's always the people who like the meanest games right but, exactly yeah, yeah it's so funny that, i these these horribly mean spirited little uh, intersections we have are what cause such such beautiful relationships. I um there was a there was a, a tweet a while back from somebody who was talking about how like standoffish the eighteen XX community was, yeah. and it was so funny to me the blowback of the tweet, which was a bunch of people being like, 
they're so wonderful. I, I mean, are you kidding me? These are the most like generous gamers I know. Right. And I mean, because I have very much, I mean, the A6X games are so brutal. You, you, you ruin people in ways that you could have never even imagined. <laughs> and, and yet the, the groups that play them are just charming, just yeah, wonderful. Totally. And, and, and so like, because I, I think, you know, there is, there is in gaming a desire to um, understand that like we are people, we can be friends outside mm-hmm. of the space of the table and all of that. And I, I recognize that, but at the same time, like, and this sounds silly, but so much of the reason why I game is in fact the game itself, the game as object, as experiment, as thing. It's like, it's an object that is in, inspires a lot of passion in me, right? And that that isn't like in some ways, and this sounds very cold and very easy to take out of context. In some ways, the game on the table is more important than the people around it, because it's this idea that transcends the table, mm-hmm. and if you when you carry that thought through, so like if you stop there, it's you sound like a jag. You sound like what do you mean the cardboard's more important than the people <laughs> on the table? But you have to carry it through because the 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 thing that is being investigated is also being investigated by people all around the world and it's giving them common cause and you know a, a place of conversation of, of thought and refuge or whatever. And so what I love about a lot of the community around TI or on ATXX games, certainly around Root, is that um, they care for this thing mm-hmm. and they are and they care about it enough to interrogate it and to really talk about it. And then there are friendships that kind of bubble up around those things, of course. Um, but it, it, I don't know, it's it's such an interesting endeavor because it does inspire. Yeah. Uh, a kind of like critical fandom that I I just love because it it, it reminds me of like the best moments in competitive video games. Yeah. Um, but sadly, I have to qualify that by saying the best moments, and not the average. <laughs> <moment>. <laughs> well, Cole, thank you so much for taking time uh, just before your well-deserved uh, vacation away, uh, so you can get your head maybe out of oath for a moment. I'm sure you won't. I'm sure you'll think about it the whole time you're in the woods, but I'm going to try. I'm gonna yeah. make a big <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. And, you know, we, we can't wait to, to have you on again. And, you know, I, I think you do. Uh, we, we need to get a TI game in together. Um, at some I, point here soon. I would love that. Is my, my, my schedule is nonsense. My children, <laughs> are, my, my children are wonderful, but they, they do preclude ti happening right now but that would be wonderful and thank you guys so much for having me of course thank you thank you for listening to space cats peace turtles and thanks to ben prunty for the use of his music you can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com pax magnifica bellum gloriosum